You can find me on Twitter at Bobby underscore K91. That other voice coming through your speakers is none other than my partner in crime, Jeff Kane. You can find him on Twitter at Jeff Kane 78. Jeff, let's start with the news that is still rattling the NBA landscape. Kevin Durant to the Golden State Warriors. I know you are not happy with this move by KD. Why don't you tell the people how you're feeling? KD's a pussy. That's what he is. He is a pussy. And I'm not just, you know, a bitter old Celtics fan here because he didn't come here. No, I was fine if he came here. I was fine if he, you know, re-signed with OKC. The fact of the matter is six years ago, and he came out and said, oh, everyone wants to join the Lakers or the Heat, pretty much bashing LeBron James. And he can't beat him, so he goes out and joins a team in the Golden State Warriors who set set a league record last year with 73 wins. I mean, he's all but guaranteeing himself a championship. I think he's a sellout, and and, and that's exactly what I think. I think he's an absolute sellout, and and that's what's wrong with the NBA, Bobby. That is absolutely what's wrong with the NBA because you turn around and you stack teams. We all know what's going to happen next year. For the third year in a row, it's going to be Cleveland versus Golden State, barring LeBron James or, you know, any one of the four major superstars that are sitting over at, at GSW getting hurt. It's the Cavs versus Golden State. Why even play? Jeff, I tried to tell people that as much as we hear it's between Golden State and OKC or it's between Golden State, Boston, and OKC that – I never felt like he was coming back to the Thunder. And for a while, I was on an island by myself there. But what I kept cautioning was that it's tenable for Durant to come back for a year when everyone knows that he's leaving, when everyone knows that there's a rift between him and Russell Westbrook. So, sure, on paper, that team arguably would have been the most talented in the league had he re-upped with the Thunder for another season. But – just in terms of chemistry, those are not the types of teams that win championships when there's all that friction going on in the locker room and everyone is not on the same page buying in together because they know that as soon as the season ends, your two best players are out the door and going to different franchises. So it didn't make sense for Durant to force the issue and go back to Oklahoma City for another season. I always felt like he was leaving, which gave Boston a real chance, which they had. However, him going to Golden State, I did not see coming. I think it is a soft move, and I feel like Kevin Durant should have listened carefully to what LeBron James had to say after Cleveland won the championship this season, where LeBron James on NBA TV after Game 7 said, When he won his first championship, he was ecstatic, didn't cry. When he won his second title, he was really happy about it, didn't cry. When he won with Cleveland, he could not control his emotions, and he was bawling like a baby. Kevin Durant is probably going to win three to four championships 
in Golden State. However, they're always going to feel slightly diminished, and they'll never be as meaningful to him if he had won them somewhere else. Yeah, and that's the thing. You know, it's been said throughout the league, and, and you know, I don't usually agree with Stephen A. Smith, but I do this time. He He's joining something now that's already established. I mean, you have a team that's been to back-to-back uh, NBA finals, and, and he's joining a team that's already established. You know, it, it's to me, it's backdoor, it's pussy-ish, it flies in the face of everything that Kevin Durant said that he was. I admired Kevin Durant hugely. In fact, I admired him unbelievably in the uh, uh, Western Conference Finals and, and how that team looked in the first, uh, you know, when they got up to 3-1 to one against Golden State and then they turn around and they lose. I, I admired him. I thought, this is a, a player I could root for. And now, I hate to say it, I hope they don't win. I, I'll be rooting for LeBron James next year because at least when LeBron James, you know, turned around and did his whole decision thing, at least he was building it in Miami where they hadn't, you know, won it the year before and, and hadn't been to the finals. He was putting together a, a second big three of the 2000s. You know, of course, Paul Pierce, Ray Allen, and, and Kevin Garnett were the first big three of the 2000s. So I, I was all right with that. This this is backdoor. This is spineless. And, and you know what, I, I – I don't ever want to see Kevin Durant anywhere near Boston. I, I'm done. I don't want to see the guy. I'm, I'm over the guy. Sick. Jeff, you're not rooting for Golden State this year. No, no way. Most enough. of our listeners are not rooting for Golden State this year. Quite frankly, it's soft if you jump on that bandwagon now. I am going to play with them in NBA Live or whatever the heck that Oh, going against Isaiah Thomas. Yeah, IT can call me a (laughs) pussy, but I'm all right with that. I I can be weak because, listen, I stink at all basketball video games, so might as well give it a shot and have a chance to win, right? Jeff, I look forward to playing you in 2K. You can be the Warriors. I'll run it back with the Celtics, and it'll probably play out differently than it will in reality (laughs) this season. The Celtics miss out on Kevin Durant. And the question now becomes, where do they go from here? You know, Bobby, the signing of Al Horford, I, I, I liked. I, I liked it as a signing to bring Kevin Durant here. I thought it would be a very nice ability to have, uh, you know, Horford playing the four of the five and, you know, IT4 uh, doing really well and then having Kevin Durant come here and, and, and playing that, you know, that three or four position. I, I thought it was perfect. Now with Horford, I think the Celtics all around are a better team, but I think they might have a worse win-loss record this year. Yeah, I can get on board with that. I'm not sure if they'll replicate 48 wins. I don't expect them to surpass it, but I do expect them to be a better team despite what their regular season record winds up being. I also expect them to get past the first round of the playoff, and that's a big step for this franchise right now. So I'm still happy, even though they didn't get Durant, that they added Al Horford, who is the ideal big man to play in Brad Stevens' system. It's a piece that they desperately needed in order to continue progressing. So regardless of not getting the superstar, I'm glad to see them add a four-time all-star who's a great fit and fills a position of need for this team. Now, 
what everyone talks about is they didn't get Durant. Who's the next superstar available, and how can they get this player? So, of course, the trendy name right now is Russell Westbrook. Jeff, I don't know about you, but to me, giving up a quote-unquote godfather package, as Chris Mannix said it would take to acquire Westbrook, is not the answer for the Celtics. I think they need to go the patient route, focus on these Brooklyn picks being utilized and build this team up through the draft. I I wonder how they do it though, Bobby. I mean, Brooklyn is going to get better at some point. And yes, I want to see them turn around and I want to see them build through the draft. But at, at what point, is that not a good idea? I mean, you got Al Horford, who's 29 years old. You got uh, IT4, who, if I'm not mistaken, is what, 26, 27? You do have a young nucleus coming up. But at, at some point, you need to kind of mortgage what's happening uh, in, your, in your back pocket. You got to kind of mortgage, you know, those draft picks and bring in proven veterans that can win now. It's the same thing that I've been talking with all along with, uh, you know, the Red Sox. You've got to kind of mortgage the future. See, though, Jeff, unlike this year's draft class, which was a, two t- a two-player draft, rather, next year's class is loaded. And you talk about Brooklyn getting better. They genuinely might be the worst team in the league next season, if not still probably finishing in the bottom three and Boston's going to continue to have their first-round picks. So it's going to be really hard for that team to get too much better in the short term. That's why I say hold on to this draft pick, and I understand the difficulty of being in Boston, a championship city, and taking the patient route and building through the draft. But just get to watch and get to know players such as Josh Jackson, Harry Giles, Jason Tatum, This is a class that has potentially five franchise players. So if the Celtics are able to strike pay dirt with this draft, I think it's worth it, and I think it's worth finding out what exactly they're going to have in this year's Brooklyn pick, which I've always said is going to be the best of the lot, as opposed to sacrificing it, especially for a player like Westbrook, who could potentially bolt after a season. And yeah, I wouldn't, go after Westbrook. I wouldn't go after Westbrook. Um, you could, I, I wouldn't mind trading for, and I mean, I've heard the names Jimmy Butler still being out there. Um, you know, maybe Okafor still being out there. I, I could see them making a trade. And I'd be all right if they made the trade there because it helps your team this year. And you don't know what, you know, as I said, you don't know what the future brings. So if you can help yourself this year, you're, you're, in my opinion, you're one really good player away from challenging in the Eastern Conference. Um, you know, I don't think anyone's beaten the Golden State Warriors, but I would trade that, um, you know, that Brooklyn pick next year, um, you know, to get an established veteran who can play. Yeah, I don't think there's anyone available, including if DeMarcus Cousins were to shake free at the trade deadline that I would sacrifice this Brooklyn pick for. I just think the right move is to slow play it. Let LeBron really hit the back nine of his career. Let this Golden State Warriors dynasty 
run its course or at least have some time to marinate as you continue to build. Keep in mind, Golden State built this team through the draft to the point where they've rattled off a championship 73 wins and we're in position to sign one of the top three players in the game. So before, before they could do that, Golden State was a fun team to watch, but they were a dumpster fire, a team that would score 120 points and still lose the game. So for the Celtics, I understand wanting the sure thing, but I think sometimes you have to be able to see the forest through the trees and the right move when you look at the reality of the NBA landscape with Durant going to Golden State is to just be patient and utilize these draft picks. Well, we got another summer to find out what happens. Wouldn't be too surprised. It'll be interesting. It's certainly going to be interesting on that front. Jeff, I preach patience when it comes to the Celtics, not the Red Sox. John Farrell, to me, should have been fired immediately after they arrived home from Tampa Bay in what was a disastrous series, which was on the heels of a disastrous series in Arlington, Texas against the Rangers. And to me, the more time that they give John Farrell, the more ground that they are losing in the division, and it ultimately might cost them the ALEs. It could, but, uh, you know, I've said this, and I'm not a Farrell fan. I I don't believe he's a great in-game manager. Um, And and, and believe me, the sky's the limit with Troy Lavuo. We saw what he did last year, but that was playing with, you know, house money. It, It didn't matter if they won or lost. I mean, he did a good job. He made some good plays, but it didn't matter if they won or lost. I, I think this is a lot deeper than John Farrell. This is uh, The reason the Red Sox are in this is because they caught extreme fire with the offense. I mean, they gave $31 million to David Price, who has a north of a 4.5 ERA. Uh, you know, Buckholtz has sucked. Um, you know, Erod, his knee's not right. I mean, any day now that the, the knuckleball for Stephen Wright's going to fall apart, they have no pitching, uh, you know, and, and losing Carson Smith, that killed them. So I, I don't even think, uh, you know, firing John Farrell and turning around and bringing uh, Troy Lavulu in is going to make a difference. This is a roster issue. This, this doesn't – to me, it's more the players on the field and, and not that it hasn't been great, not that David Ortiz hasn't had a magical final season and not that, you know, Xander Bogarts and Jackie Bradley Jr. and – and Mookie Betts aren't doing great. This this is a roster issue outside of there. You know, they don't have a great left fielder. Their bullpen it, it absolutely stinks um, right now, and a lot of it has to do with, with injuries, but a lot of it has to do with their starters, you know, can't even give them three or four innings. It, it, it's horrible. Jeff, I think that they need both shoes to drop. The first one is John Farrell because the team at times doesn't seem motivated. It doesn't always seem like they're taking Farrell's advice. You'll hear him after games talk about, well, I said this, or I sent Carl Willis to say this and deliver this message to a pitcher. And he did the exact opposite. For example, pitching in the rain, they tell Stephen Wright to rely on the knuckleball. Even if you give up a base hit, then we'll take you out. Instead, he tries to, flip a fastball 
past one of the hitters, and it ends up in the green monster. So I think there's a disconnect between the manager and the team. And if I were to ask you the question of how John Farrell makes this team better, I think you'd be hard-pressed to come up with an answer. So I'm right there with you on the pitching staff needing to get better. But I also think that this team, you saw them develop under Tori Lavulo. And part of the reason that I thought that having a day off in between the road trip and coming back home to Fenway was the perfect time to fire Farrell is because last season when Farrell was abruptly removed from the team due to the unfortunate diagnosis of cancer, we saw how well the team was able to respond to being now put under Lavulo's direction. So I would like to see that replicated, and I don't think they need such an extended break from the game to be able to wrap their heads around and adjust to no longer having Farrell on the scene based on how we saw them handle it last season. So I feel like the time to act is now. And then you've heard Dombrowski say repeatedly that he's in talks with five, six teams about pitchers. This isn't the time where trades get done as the market and these negotiations continue to advance. So I think that both issues need to be addressed, but the first shoe to drop has got to be addressing what's going on internally and removing a manager who his team no longer seems to be responding to. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the things that's going to happen. And you know what? If if Dabrowski's going to turn around and he's going to, um, you know, make the move and whether it's fire Farrell or go trade for a pitcher, let's not trade for the Rich Hills of the world. Let's not trade for the, you know, Julio Terrans of the world. Let's go out and and make it all out push, whether that be Matt Harvey from the New York Mets, whether that be Chris Sale from the Chicago Put on the White DL today. Yeah, exactly. But, um, you know, whether that be Chris Sale, whether that be uh, Fernandez from Miami, you know what? You have all these chips in, in the minor leagues, and I know you don't want to train, trade Juan Makata. You don't want to trade Ben Intendi. But I ask you this, Bobby. This team – is in a position right now to take a very weak uh, AL East and get into the playoffs. And then if you pitch well enough in the playoffs, this team has the timely hitting. You have Xander Bogarts, you have Jackie Bradley Jr., you have Mookie Betts, who are young, up-and-coming hitters. It's okay to trade one of your star prospects who may turn out to be you know, the next Brian Rose, the next Wilton Varis, the next, um, you know, what's the guy that screwed around with this, uh, the uh, report of their Middlebrooks? The, yeah. You know, I mean, it's, they could be the next one of them, and you never know what you have. It, it's like it's like putting putting $20 into the bank and hoping and hoping that you're going to turn around and going to get a good interest rate and, and pull $100 back out in, in three or four years. You know, when you could put $20 out, the market could crash, and, you know, you're pulling out 5 bucks. So I say take your money, put your chips in the center, and, 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 you know, go all in. Go all in this year. Why not? Why not? Well, Jeff, it pains me that you obviously don't have an alert on my tweets because 
I tweeted out last night and got into a discussion with a couple of people this morning about the fact that I'm more than willing to give up Andrew Benintendi to get the right pitcher, to get someone who can serve as the second ace behind David Price, who has obviously not pitched like an ace this season. However, what concerns me about negotiating with a team like Miami for Fernandez is I think it's going to cost both Moncada and Benintendi, and that's not a move I'm comfortable making if I'm the Red Sox. So they're certainly in a position where they can afford to give up some high-end prospects. And they have several good pitching prospects, too, that I think should be packaged into a deal to make sure they come away with the right pitcher. However, I don't think they should give up everyone in order to get that player, which could be the cost of Fernandez, a move that I would not make. I also don't like using the mentality of, well, we're giving up players who they're prospects, so we don't know if they're going to work out. I think when you watch Ben Intendi, certainly he's not at the major league level yet, and there's a jump to be made, but he has all the makings of a potential all-star left fielder, and you have to be comfortable giving that up. You can't look at it from the standpoint of, well, maybe he won't work out. You just have to be okay with sacrificing talent in order to get talent, and that's why I think it's worth it. I would rather have an ace pitcher than I would an all-star left fielder, especially when you look at the difference in cost on the open market. So to me, trade most but not all of these prospects in order to give this team a fighting chance at a World Series championship, but do not sell the entire farm. So to me, that means Moncada specifically is untouchable. Well, it, if history shows anything, Dabrowski's going to trade whatever he has to. I mean, he did that to get the D-Train and Miguel Cabrera in Detroit. He traded guys uh, you know, like Andrew Miller, who was considered an extreme top prospect. Cameron Maybine, who was considered better than Benintendi could have ever possibly even been imagined to, and that worked out pretty well. Granted, they never won a World Series with those players, but he's going to turn around, he's going to trade it. That's why you have, you know, drafts. They they, they finished, uh, you know, last, three of the last four years. They've got draft picks, and they've got a great farm system. Trade your talent, man. Just trade it. Not all of it, Jeff. Not all of it. I would trade Benintendi and Mankata for Fernandez tomorrow. I think that's what it would cost you. And, and I'm all right with it. I, I would just just as well go out and talk to Chicago and talk to Oakland and check out what the price tag on Chris Sale and Sonny Gray is and see if you can keep him. I think they would regret giving up both of those players. Jeff, another GM who is under much more scrutiny and has far less job security than Dave Dombrowski is Don Sweeney. And as we enter the two-minute drill right now, I want to go first and deliver my take on the state of the Bruins. Because to me, it has become apparent that Don Sweeney doesn't have enough job security to do what's best for the organization and that is can dedicate a youth movement right now and go all in on that front. Just 
holding on to the likes of Bergeron and Marchand, and for now keeping Tuka Rath. But instead he goes out and signs David Backus, who's a great fit with the Bruins and a player I really like. But at 32 years old and a lot of mileage on him, they sign him to a five-year, $30 million contract. If that's what it was going to require, it's not in the Bruins' best interest because this is a team that is still a ways away from being a cup contender and didn't do much to get better this offseason, even with the addition of Bacchus. To me, this is a classic case, and I don't blame Sweeney, of a general manager trying to keep his job because he knows that while a rebuild might be best for the Bruins, he probably won't be there at the end of it. Yeah, you know, it just, it's it's terrible because, I mean, explain this to me. You go out and get Bacchus, who, granted, he could be a good player, but you're right, he's 32 years old. And they signed him to a five-year, what was it, $30 million contract? Correct. All right, why are you going backwards here, guys? You had Louis Erickson, who had a very good year for you, and you wouldn't come off your five-year deal to him. He signs a six-year, $36 million uh, deal with the uh, Vancouver Canucks. Why don't you take the younger player who has proven he can play in your system? It's ass backwards. And if you ask me, ever since July 1st, 2013, when the Bruins traded Tyler Sagan for a bag of pucks, Louis Erickson being one of them, this team's been in, in backwards mode, absolute backwards mode. Peter Shirelli, uh, granted, he brought them a cup, but he brought them a cup on the back of one of the greatest goaltending uh, playoff series I've, I've ever seen in, in Tim Thomas, and I didn't like Tim Thomas to begin with. He's now traded both Taylor Hall and Tyler Sagan in shit trades. The guy was a terrible GM, and poor Don Sweeney ha- has has no clout here because Cam Neely, you know, is the puppet master. And you ask me, this just needs to be blown up. Trade everyone and start over again. Otherwise, you're in purgatory uh, in, in the NHL. And it stinks, and it sucks, as Rick Pitino would have said. But you know what? Tim Thomas isn't walking through that door. Cam Neely when he used to score 50 goals, isn't walking through that door. I prefer he be walking out that door. Ray Bork's not walking through that door either because he's not going to be able to walk in a straight line. But you know <laughs> what? This is just – they got to blow it up, brother. And, Jeff, you recognize who did pay Louis Erickson, Jim Benning, yeah. the same man who orchestrated the trade of Sagan for Louis Erickson. So in case there was ever any doubts in anyone's mind about the mastermind of – one of the worst trades in Bruins history. This should clear everything up for you. It's it's just it's sickening, you know. The spoke bee will rise again, but really they need to turn around and they need to blow this thing up. And and I'm talking, really, there's no one that's untouchable. I would love to see, you know, um, I would love to see uh, Bergeron stick here for his entire career, but. If you get enough pieces around, they're not cup contenders right now. They're not. Even with bringing back far from it. They're far from it. I mean, he's not even going to play his his regular center position unless they move Krejci. You know, we'll we'll, we'll see what happens. Yeah, I think the Krejci trade is one that most Bruins fans expect now. Seems like a logical move to me. 
to go and acquire a top-four defenseman, especially if you can get a young one like a Cam Fowler in exchange for Krejci because I do like the dynamic that Backus brings, playing center, allowing Ryan Spooner, if he's still here to start the season, to move over to right wing. And then in certain situations, they can move Backus over to play right wing. So he brings with him some versatility. He's a great fit. But like we said at the beginning, 32 years old, five-year deal. It really makes you question the direction of this Bruins team and if they are, in fact, doing what's best for this franchise long-term. I say no. You say no. I think that most of our listeners agree, and they say no as well. Jeff, I want to thank our listeners. I want to thank you for dropping knowledge. As always, you can check us out. I'm Bobby Kravitsky at Bobby underscore K91. He's Jeff Kane at Jeff Kane 78. Thanks for listening and have a great week.